Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I want to turn your attention to Ephesians chapter 3 real quick, uh, because one of the things you're going to see throughout the rest of the service, and as we've already been uh, pointing towards, is the beautiful mystery of Jesus. It's interesting that in the New Testament, the uh, arrival of Jesus and his ministry and the preaching of the gospel, the good news of what Christ had done on the cross for sinners and his resurrection from the grave, these were all things that God had been speaking of and pointing people to, but before Jesus arrived, they are called mysteries of Jesus. Uh, one of the things we're going to look at later on in just a minute in our study as we go through Colossians is this constant reference back to the mystery of Jesus, the mystery of what Christ has done uh, that God had promised and had revealed in him. Well, Paul didn't only write to the Colossians about that. He also wrote to the Ephesians about it. In Ephesians chapter 3, he tells us a little bit about this mystery. And I want to read this to you, verses 1 through 13. And Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is, aren't you glad God defines things for us? This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, verse 7, Paul says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." And this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. See, the beautiful news is that God had been promising long ago that he was going to rescue and redeem his people. And for generations that hung as a mystery, yet to be seen, fulfilled in full, and to be understood. But when Jesus showed up on the scene, when Christ came, what he was doing was revealing that mystery hidden for the ages and showing that Jesus was the one they had been waiting for. That God's promise to redeem and rescue his people, Jesus was accomplishing. And that mystery that had been hidden for ages, Paul says, has been revealed in Christ. That God's redemptive plan has been made known. And guess what Paul loved to do? He loved to tell people about the mystery that has now been revealed. What used to be a mystery is now revealed in Christ and we are able to behold his beauty. And so this morning, I hope that you'll see the wonderful grace of God in bringing that revelation of the mystery through Jesus Christ, that he would come and he would show us exactly what God was doing to rescue his people and he would accomplish it in full. 
Our prayer this morning is that Jesus would receive glory and honor and worship for his unsearchable, unmeasurable grace and riches towards us. Heavenly Father, we love you. And Father, we could never on our own achieve salvation. We could never rescue ourselves from the depths of our sin. God, if we were going to have any joy everlasting, if we were going to have any hope, any peace in this life, Father, if we were ever going to be reconciled to you, it was going to have to come by your own hand. And Father, you promised that you would do it. You promised from the early ages of Scripture, you promised that you would send the one who would rescue your people. Father, you promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Father, for generations that existed as a mystery, unknown by people exactly how you would accomplish that. But Father, in your timing and in your perfect plan, you sent your son to this earth to live the perfect life we couldn't, to die the death we could never endure, to rise and conquer death that we could never conquer, and to intercede for us in this moment. You did all of this so that you might receive praise from people who at one point were enemies of yours. And so, Father, I pray it'll stir up in us a desire to give you more praise. Father, this is an unbelievable mystery that has been revealed in Christ. And we are grateful, God, for your patience and your mercy, your steadfast love towards us. And Father, we are grateful this morning as Christians living in Olive Branch, Mississippi in 2020, we are grateful that that gospel, that mystery revealed in Jesus has been brought to us. And this morning, we are able to say as redeemed people, thank you, God, for your unbelievable grace. May you receive praise and honor for this mystery. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Ladies, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me to Colossians uh, chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 as we continue to make our way bit by bit. And we look at this mystery of Jesus revealed uh, for us. And Paul is going to give a very personal account uh, of how this gospel has changed him and how it connects him with other believers. This is going to attach to what we looked at last week as we spent time specifically looking at Paul's sufferings for the gospel. And what we saw at the end of chapter 1 was that Paul spoke of his sufferings in Jesus that these were actually God's plan for him, that he would suffer for the sake of Christ and for his church, and that many would be made full in the knowledge of God's word. That this mystery hidden for the ages that Paul dedicated his life to preaching and making known the full word of God so that they might understand and know better the work of Christ and his character. But what Paul's going to show us this morning in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, is that Paul wasn't just generally making Jesus known, but Paul is showing a personal aspect to his ministry. And what he says is he has been suffering in proclaiming the gospel specifically for those like the Colossians. So Colossians chapter 2 verse 1 through 5. I'm going to ask you if you're physically able to stand with me this morning out of honor for God's word, and then I'll let you sit down for a little bit. 
But in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, let's read together uh, the word of God from the hand of Paul. Paul writes and says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Heavenly Father, use your word today to stir up our affections for you. Feed us this morning by your word. Help us to know and understand Jesus better from studying your word this morning. We ask your spirit to work in our hearts and in our minds to convict us once again uh, that we might hate sin and we might love Jesus more. So, Father, do that for your people today. Father, I pray you'll guard me from error. Help me not to speak what you would not want to have said, that you might receive glory as the shepherd of your sheep. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. That struggle he's already mentioned. He references it in verse 29. When he says that he toils, he struggles with all his energy, that God powerfully works within him. And what was he struggling to do? He was struggling to proclaim the good news of Jesus and to make the word of God fully known to everyone he possibly could. And he refers to this ministry as a struggle filled with Toil. Now, I mentioned to you last week that the word for struggle that was mentioned first in verse 29 and is carried over here into verse 1 of chapter 2, that word struggle is actually the word we get our word agony from. So imagine working so hard at something, agonizing over something, that demonstrates a great deal of care and concern about what you're doing. If you're agonizing over something, it's not a small deal to you. It's a massive deal. And so for Paul to say that he is agonizing, struggling with the power that God gives him to make the word of God fully known, that means that preaching the gospel is not easy work. It's not easy. Because there are many who would seek to quiet, stifle, or lead astray people from the word. And Paul begins here by pointing to a, a personal struggle. For I want you, he says, I desire you to know how great a struggle I have. And this is not just Paul going, hey, let me tell you how bad I got it, right? This isn't a, a pity party. We're going to get together and everybody's going to list out the worst. This is not him trying to gain any credit for himself. But what he's saying is, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. See, Paul's struggle is not for selfish reasons, 
Paul struggles in preaching the gospel. He toils in it. He agonizes over it because he's doing it for the benefit of other believers. He's doing it for the benefit of others. And he wants those he's writing to here in Colossae, he wants them to know Paul's not just toiling and struggling proclaiming the gospel for other people. Paul is toiling and struggling to preach the gospel for their benefit. Not only that, but he says, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. So Paul's preaching of the gospel, his toiling in ministry, is so that people who he has never seen before and may not ever see, that they might be encouraged and built up in Jesus. That's not selfish, right? That's not pursuit for his own gain. That is for their benefit. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for those who have not seen me face to face. So Paul's toiling is not for one separate group of people and then another. His toiling is for all of those who would ever trust in Jesus Christ and know the goodness of his salvation. What this tells me as a pastor is that we have to be careful that we don't become so centric to Fairhaven that we lose sight of the fact that God has surrounded us with other Christians, other believers, other churches that love Jesus too, and we toil and fight for each other's benefit. It's not just about what happens here. That God is actually using the preaching of the gospel to encourage churches together. That's good news. Because it means we're not alone. I got one. If I get two, I'll move on. Oh, well, easy. But Paul was willing and ready to sacrifice because he had love not just for that church and not just for that church, but for all of them. And he was willing to toil and to struggle preaching the gospel for their benefit. You know what? Fairhaven doesn't exist for just herself. Fairhaven exists to proclaim the gospel not only to our community, but for our other Christian brothers and sisters who we toil alongside. And when we're preaching the gospel together, guess what we're doing? We're encouraging one another to keep going. Folks, there are churches this morning who are about to give up. They're about to phone it in. There's Christians this morning about to give up, walk away. And what we need to see is that we are busy proclaiming the good news of Jesus and the hope we have in him so that we'll keep stirring together, keep walking together, keep toiling together. Even though we may go to different churches, we continue to push forward in encouragement in Jesus, knowing that the battle has been won by him and we are going to be victorious, right? Amen. So we are partners in this gospel with other churches that are preaching the good news. And Paul demonstrates that he says, I do it for your benefit and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Paul's struggling is tied to the preaching of the gospel. His struggling is tied to making the word of God fully known, according to verse 25 of chapter 1. Paul is working diligently for that case. For what reason? I'm glad you asked. Verse 2. 
that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of the full, of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So Paul's struggling and toiling and hard work in ministry in proclaiming the gospel is so that they may be encouraged, that their hearts may be encouraged. Why? Because they might look upon Paul's suffering and go, I can't do this. I can't be a part of this. It looks like the kingdom of God is losing to the world. But he wants them to be encouraged. His imprisonment and his sufferings are not because God is losing, but because he's winning and victorious. And so Paul struggles for their encouragement, and notice what happens as they struggle together. Being knit together in love. See, love for Jesus and for fellow believers is absolutely vital to what God is accomplishing in his people. In bringing us to maturity, love for Jesus and each other is vital for this growth. And Paul preaches and struggles that their hearts may be encouraged as they are being knit together in love. That love would unite them even if they don't go to the same church, even if they're not in the same city. They continue to love one another, which demonstrates the work of God in bringing them to maturity. And what better place to be encouraged than among brothers and sisters in Jesus who love you and you know they do. That being knit together in love is part of how we are encouraged in Jesus. And love for other believers is fruit of the work of God in human hearts because only God can cause that to happen. Only God can stir up these types of affections that believers have for one another. Doesn't mean you don't get on each other's nerves. Doesn't mean you don't drive each other crazy. It just means that deep down, you're compelled by a love for one another that continues to move forward no matter the circumstances. And Paul is preaching the gospel. He is sharing the fullness of God's word so that they might be encouraged and that they might be knit together in love for one another. For what purpose? To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So he struggles for the purpose of reaching all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of Christ, which, by the way, is that mystery that God has been referring to. And so Paul does all of this striving, all of this struggling, preaching the gospel so that they might uh, be encouraged, they might be knit together in love, so that they might reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Paul does all this so that they might see Jesus better and know him more. That he diligently struggles to continue to point them to the mystery of God's redemptive plan that has been achieved in Jesus. And what is, so what we see here is that God desires that all Christians would continue to pursue Christ through his word, that they might be encouraged, knit together in love, and so that they might reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge 
of God's mystery. See, I've been a Christian now for quite a while, but I still don't understand fully this mystery of what Jesus has done for us. I'm never going to reach that spot until he comes back for me. But we continue to pursue it, and we do it by making the word of God fully known and committing ourselves to strive after righteousness in Jesus. And Paul says he does all of this so that they might reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge. Remember, why is Paul writing to the Colossians? What's his main issue that he's tackling for them? There is false teaching that has arisen up in the church that is leading people to think that, yeah, Jesus is good, but there's a fuller spiritual knowledge and understanding you can get from other teachers above what Jesus can give you. And what does Paul show us here? There is no other place that you need to go to find the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's not Jesus plus some fancy teaching. It's Jesus and that's it. He is the mystery. You know what the mystery of God's redemptive plan is? Jesus. And God has revealed that to us and he helps us to more fully understand how as we study and the word of God is made fully known. So your, my, my job and your job for me is to come alongside and to help me know the word of God in a more full way. That assumes that we don't know it to its fullness. And so we encourage one another and all of that, while that's happening, we are being knit together in love because we are together in Christ. And this mystery, which is Jesus, verse 3, we're told, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul's saying, oh, you're looking for wisdom and knowledge somewhere else? Well, you're going to have a struggle because all the fullness of wisdom and knowledge is in Jesus. So some other teacher is telling you, no, it's found over here. He said, no, no, no. It's in Christ. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you're going to have wisdom and knowledge, it's going to be because you're in Christ and it's coming from him. So, so what this means is that you and I need more Jesus, not less. What you need is more Jesus. You, you need to hear and read more about Jesus, not less. See, we get in the picture... We think that as we grow as Christians and as we get more mature, well, I don't need to read it as much because I know more now, right? When I'm, when I'm a new Christian, then I, I really got to read a lot, right? Because I don't understand anything. But we kind of tend to think that as we get further along as a Christian, as we grow up and mature, I don't need to read as much. I don't need to hear as much from him because I understand more of it now. But if in Jesus is the fullness of wisdom and knowledge then what you need as a Christian is not to siphon off more Jesus, but you need to learn more of him. As a mature Christian, you actually need to hear more and more and more, not less. And I'm, I'm afraid that we have a tendency to give you less Jesus and less Jesus and in the process of doing that, we actually work against what God is doing. That's why Paul is writing to the church, because there are these false teachers that are seeking to do just that. 
And I want you, can I point this out to you as well, real quick? We can't pursue wisdom and knowledge of Jesus apart from love for one another. You can't truly pursue greater wisdom and knowledge in Jesus while you hate your brother or sister in Jesus. Why? Because that's not more fully, that's not knowing Jesus more. In fact, Jesus' example was the exact opposite of that, wasn't it? So what we see here is that the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus is tied to love that Christians have for one another. And Paul's preaching of the word when he's bringing the word of God and making it more fully known, it leads to greater understanding and knowledge of Christ, who, by the way, is the perfect revelation of God's mystery hidden through the ages. That's how you're made mature in Jesus, is to come to understand and to know in more fullness that Jesus is the one who was promised and he has done everything that you need to have life and godliness. And so you need more, Jesus. You need to hear more about him. You need to study more about him. You need to spend more time with him, not less. And that's why Paul is suffering. That's why he's struggling, is to make the word of God more fully known so that they might have true wisdom and knowledge found only in Jesus. And he wants them to, to reach maturity as they do it. He wants them to grow into more Christ-likeness. Verse 4 and so Paul explains why he has to have this conversation. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So here's what the false teachers are doing. They're trying to water down. They're trying to delude. They're trying to move the focus off of Jesus. And they're using plausible arguments to make it happen. Now listen, you can come up with some slick arguments that make it look like you're right. But in the end, they're deceptive, is what Paul is saying. They're trying to delude you away from the true knowledge and wisdom found only in Jesus. And they're trying to delude you into chasing after other sources of knowledge and wisdom that can never satisfy. And so Paul explains all this to guard the believers he's writing to from deceptive teaching that would seek to lead them away from wisdom and knowledge in Jesus. And this false teaching actually is against God's plan. And by the way, Paul's too, because Paul is on God's plan. And so chasing after this false teaching is actually against God's plan to grow believers into mature Christians by the word of God being made fully known. So what does this mean for us? Let me say this. And I'm saying this as a corrective tool for myself, okay? Okay. And I need you guys to help hold me to this. Because just so you know, there are times when I, I'm prone to wander too. I'm prone to say to myself, well, I just got, I, I got to get more people to come in here and sit down. And what it can stir up in you is you begin to think of other ways in which you could accomplish that. But let's be very careful. Any teaching that rests on human devices, human stories, entertainment, rather than God's word, those means are incapable of producing maturity in you. I'm not trying to bash anybody else, but I am saying that the word of God is foundational and necessary to your growth in Christ. 
And if I were to come up here or anyone were to come up here and simply share with you human wisdom, cute stories, try to come up here with plausible arguments, or to come up here just simply to do a song and dance for you that you might be entertained and leave encouraged. None of those things make you look more like Jesus. What you need and what I need is more Jesus and his truth. And so our goal, hopefully, is to make the word of God the focus of everything we do because it is the only way we can mature in Jesus. And by the way, any form of human device or entertainment or stories that seek to to lead you away from Jesus, they rob you of the source of true wisdom and knowledge. Paul says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul is careful to say he wants them to grow as God intends, which is by his word made fully known. Verse 5, Paul again is going to show you this personal aspect of it. He says, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. Remember that knitting together in love? Paul says, even though I haven't met you, I'm knit with you in love. So much so that even though I'm not with you physically, he says, I'm with you in spirit. Because we're fighting and striving for the same thing. To make the word of God more fully known that believers would be maturing in Jesus to the goal that God has desired for them. Notice how he says it. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. That word, that phrase, good order, it's the idea, uh, it has like a military context to it. It's the idea of not breaking the line. It's the idea of holding the line fast. He says, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness. So good order, holding the line of faith in Jesus and to his word, and the firmness of faith, these things demonstrate that God is producing the maturity he promised he would through his word. And so Paul rejoices because he says, I'm rejoicing to see your good order and your firmness of faith. This is the result of what God brings. This is only something he can produce, and it's fruit of the fact that God is accomplishing exactly what he said he would. And Paul stands united with them, even though he's never been there physically, he stands united with them as a fellow believer. And together, all of them, whether they've ever been in each other's presence before or not, all believers together are found withstanding the heretical onslaught that continues to march against God and his truth. And so we at Fairhaven stand with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ as we hold firm the good order and the firmness of our faith because we believe that there is no other source of true wisdom and knowledge than Jesus. And together we hold that line and we are knit together in love as we do so. And we withstand all opposition to God and his truth. So let me put it this way to you. 
I believe what we see from these verses and from what we saw at the end of chapter 1, this connection. What we see in these verses is Paul's proclaiming the desperate need for love of Jesus. That you would be redeemed, that God would give you a new heart that in turn would love Jesus. And that is what God produces. He gives us hearts that can actually love and worship Christ. But that love of Jesus is not the end. It actually produces more because love of Jesus is also then tied to love of God's word, to the truth. They're not separated from each other. They are tied together. Love of Jesus is tied to love of the word of God, which, by the way, is tied to love for the big C church. All believers in Jesus, the love that people have for one another is connected to their love for the truth, which is connected to their love for Jesus. All these things are intertwined, and Paul is encouraging them by this to see that God is producing exactly what he wishes to. That love of Jesus is tied to love of the word of God, which is tied to love for the big C church, all believers, which is also tied to our love for each other here right now. And all of this is being accomplished off what looks like defeat. Paul's writing from prison. He's in prison because he preaches Jesus. It looks like the battle is being lost. But what Paul wants to encourage them with is that what seems like defeat is actually accomplishing spiritual victory. Now, I wonder where else do we see that? Are there any other pictures in the Bible of what looks like defeat actually being victory? This is the mystery of Christ. He went to the cross, and in so doing, it looked like he was beaten that Satan had won, that the king was dead. And that seed of the woman that was promised by God, he's gone. But the mystery was what looked like defeat was actually victory. So when Paul writes to other Christians, he rejoices in his suffering. Why? Because what looks like his defeat is actually demonstrating his victory. And that is tied to Jesus, and for that he is glad to suffer. And so when he writes to these Christians who are probably shaken in their boots and they're worried and they're scared of what's going to happen to them, guess what he says? He says, I want you to be encouraged that his suffering and struggling is for their benefit. That they would see Paul is not losing the battle. He is already victorious. This is the mystery that we get to proclaim as Christians. If you're a believer in Jesus, you get to share this same mystery that what looked like Christ's defeat was actually his conquering blow to sin, death, and Satan.
oh, it's good news. And that's something we can rejoice in as all believers. You know why? Because that truth of what Jesus has done has been applied to all of us. We get to share in that. We get to celebrate that. We get to preach and proclaim it. And so Paul's not sitting in prison just having a pity party over everything that's ever happened to him. But instead, he sees every single struggle he's ever had in Jesus as being a mark of his victory in Christ, not his defeat. And he wants all the other believers to know while everything is coming against you, while heretical teachers try to lead you away from the beauty of Christ and point you to knowledge or wisdom found somewhere else, you'll never, ever be satisfied any other place but in Jesus alone because he is the only source of wisdom and knowledge and in Jesus you have everything you need everything you need for victory and nothing can separate you from that love I'm telling you folks sometimes I get a little nervous sometimes I have Sometimes I have sleepless nights. Oh, no, what's going to happen? Sometimes I have a tendency to feel that the struggles I walk through are just too monumental for anything to ever come out of them. There's no good that can be produced from it. feels like we're losing battles all the time. But if we are able to commit ourselves to making the word of God everything we pursue, and making the word of God fully known. God will mature believers. He will knit them together in love for one another so that you might reach full assurance of understanding and knowledge in Christ. So when we gather together, guess what, Christians? We better make the word of God the center of what we're doing. Because that's the only way it can happen. Praise God that this mystery that was hidden for ages has been made known to us. But that means as a Christian, your job is to keep making it known. That as you understand, as your knowledge of Jesus grows, you continue to share that with other people who have no idea who Jesus is, why he died on the cross, and why they should believe in him. And God says you get to spend time around people like that every single week. Oh, the good news. That the mystery of Jesus has been revealed. And we are blessed recipients of that today. May we be all about making the word of God fully known while we're being knit together in love so that we might be encouraged to remain firm in our faith of Jesus. Now, I don't assume that everyone in here is a Christian. I know everybody in here comes to church often, but I don't assume because you come to church often that means you're saved. It's possible that you could love trying to get to God more than you love God. You could love doing things for God more than you love him. I know that sometimes we can actually think that if we just do the right things, then we'll be fit for heaven. But in the end, what God tells us is that the only way that we can really come to know salvation and know what it means to be redeemed is to trust in Jesus alone. The mystery that he died and rose again for our victory and our redemption. And I'm encouraging every single one of you, if you don't know for sure that you are trusting in Jesus, then I want you to come talk to me after service is over. 
And I'll be happy to sit down for as long as it takes, and I'll be happy to walk you through exactly what the Bible says about how we know we're in Jesus. Maybe there's a, maybe you're a Christian, but there's, there's sin that you're struggling with, right? The sin that entices you to believe that there's greater satisfaction somewhere else other than Jesus, that there's greater knowledge or wisdom that can be found if you just pursue something else. Maybe you just need to spend time this morning confessing to God that sin and seeking for God to remind you once again of the sufficient sacrifice of Jesus for you. And so this morning, whether you need to trust in Christ for the first time or whether you need to spend time responding to him and confessing sin, we need to spend time this morning responding to him. Now, because of coronavirus, I know that uh, it's not a comfortable thing to come forward and talk to me. And so I'm, we've decided that for the brief period of time that we have moving forward, we're gonna do it a little bit differently. And instead of asking you to come forward, I'm gonna pray for us. While the ladies play, I'm gonna pray for us. And during that, during that prayer, I want you to pray. And maybe you need to pray that God would forgive you of your sin and cleanse you and give you a new heart, trusting Christ for the first time. Maybe you need to pray and confess sin. Maybe, maybe you need to pray a, a, a prayer of thanksgiving to God for what he's done for you. Maybe you just need to adore Jesus a little bit more. Maybe you just need to pray a prayer of adoration to him. Maybe there's a great need that you're asking God to provide for. One thing I don't wanna do is bring the word of God to you and then just close it up and act like it doesn't impact what we do afterwards. We need to respond to God in some form or fashion. And so we're gonna do that this morning. I'm gonna ask you to pray with me and do business with God. Heavenly Father, I love you. And Father, I know in this place, even now, there are likely people who are struggling in their relationship with you. Father, there may be people this morning here who don't know you for sure. Father, I pray that you would, by your Spirit's work, make known the mystery of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection in our place. And Father, that you might draw people to yourself. And Father, if they need rescue, that you would rescue them according to your good purposes. Father, I pray for Christians who are here this morning. They may be battling against sin, feeling that there's no victory anywhere nearby, that there's no hope. Father, I pray that they would confess that sin to you and know that you are the loving Father who welcomes your children into his presence. And Father, you love to forgive. So Father, may we confess sin, lay it before you and walk away from it. Father, this morning for families that are hurting, whether it be spiritually or physically or financially, God, I pray that you would provide as only you can, that it would stir up greater faith in you, greater trust in you. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to hate sin and to love you more. And so, Father, do it as only you can. Root out those things that we trust in more than Jesus. 
root out those things that we treasure more than Jesus and show us that nothing compares to the beauty of Christ and his work. So Father, this morning I pray that we would walk away from this place knowing you more, understanding your truth more, so that we might continue with boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, that other people we know might hear, understand, and trust in Christ today. Use us, God, as instruments in your hands for your glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name.